You're listening to the podcast for Asbury United Methodist Church. Join us every Sunday for worship at 8.30 or 10.45. Find out more at asburybosier.org. So we begin the season of Lent today. Now, normally, uh, during the season of Lent, uh, the congregation, we, we together uh, walk with one another for six weeks as we walk to the cross. We begin with Jesus' temptation in the wilderness that calls attention to, to our temptations and the things that we must put down in order to hear the word of God. Or sometimes we pick up spiritual disciplines that help us hear that voice of God, then gradually we begin to hear how Jesus will be going to Jerusalem as the Lamb of God to be handed over to the authorities to be crucified. Normally, it is a dawdling stroll to the cross. At best, we take our time so that we might well prepare ourselves for seeing the love of God on display through a broken body. At worst, we meander for six weeks because the cross is too much for our polite sensibilities. And we would much rather move from Palm Sunday to Easter, from glory to glory, without the embarrassment of seeing the one we call Lord crushed under the weight of human sin. Normally, we take our time for good or for ill But sometimes, normal is oh so boring. So this year we begin the season of Lent in the inner chamber of Pontius Pilate. Each week we will look at a different character from Jesus' passion story to see what their role in this great divine drama is. So we are not dawdling To the cross, we are not taking our time. We begin in the palace with Jesus and Pilate. Our scripture lesson today, uh, it is long, uh, but it is important. Uh, It's John chapter 18, beginning with verse 28, through John chapter 19, ending with verse 16. It will be on the screens, and it's also in your Bible. Let us hear the word of the Lord. Then they took Jesus from Caiaphas to Pilate's headquarters. It was early in the morning. They themselves did not enter the headquarters so as to avoid ritual defilement and to be able to eat the Passover. So Pilate went out to them and said, What accusation do you bring against this man? They answered, If this man was not a criminal, were not a criminal, we would not have handed him over to you, which is not an answer to the question. Pilate said to them, Take him yourselves and judge him according to your law. The Jews replied, We are not permitted to put anyone to death. This was to fulfill what Jesus had said when he indicated the kind of death he was to die. Then Pilate entered the headquarters again, summoned Jesus, and asked him, Are you king of the Jews? Jesus answered, Do you ask this on your own, or did others tell you about me? Pilate replied, I am not a Jew, am I? Your own nation and the chief priests have handed you over to me. What have you done? Jesus answered, my kingdom is not of this world. 
If my kingdom were from this world, my followers would be fighting to keep me from being handed over to the Jews. But as it is, my kingdom is not from here. Pilate asked him, Ah, so so you are a king. Jesus answered, You say that I am a king. For this I was born and for this I came into the world to testify to the truth. Everyone who belongs to the truth listens to my voice. Pilate answered him, What is truth? After he had said this, he went out to the Jews again and told them, I find no case against him, but you have a custom that I release someone to you for the Passover. Do you want me to release for you the king of the Jews? They shouted in reply, Not this man, but Barabbas. Now, Barabbas was a bandit. Then Pilate took Jesus and had him flogged. And the soldiers wove a crown of thorns and put it on his head, and they dressed him in a purple robe. They kept coming to him, saying, Hail, King of the Jews, and striking him on the face. Pilate went out again and said to them, Look, I am bringing him out to you to let you know I find no case against him. So Jesus came out wearing the crown of thorns and the purple robe. Pilate said to them, Here is the man. When the chief priests and the police saw him, they shouted, Crucify him! Crucify him. Pilate said to them, take him, and, take him yourselves and crucify him. I find no case against them. The Jews answered him, We have a law, and according to that law he ought to die, because he has claimed to be the Son of God. Now, when Pilate heard this, he was more afraid than ever. He entered his headquarters again and asked Jesus, Where are you from? But Jesus gave him no answer. Pilate therefore said to him, Do you refuse to speak to me? Do you not know I have power to release you and power to crucify you? Jesus answered him, You would have no power over me unless it had been given to you from above. Therefore the one who handed me over to you is guilty of a greater sin. From then on, Pilate tried to release him. But the Jews cried out, If you release this man, you are no friend of the emperor. Everyone who claims to be a king sets himself against the emperor. When Pilate heard these words, he brought Jesus outside and sat on the judge's bench at a place called the Stone Pavement, or in Hebrew, Gabbatha. Now it was the day of preparation for the Passover, and it was about noon. He said to the Jews, here is your king. They cried out, away with him, away with him, crucify him. Pilate asked them, shall I crucify your king? The chief priests answered, we have no king but the emperor. (laughs) Then he handed him over to be crucified. This is the word of God for the people of God. Thanks be to God. Pilate has the power. Judea at this time of Jesus' life is so unruly that Rome is having to change the way that they govern. Normally, Rome would put a puppet king in the area and Rome would then reap the benefit of taxes, of land acquisition, 
without having to get their hands dirty with uh, the, the, the rigmarole of actually having to govern day in and day out. But they can't do this. They did this with Herod the Great. But Herod has died, and his children now have the land. And his children are not up to the task of being as tyrannical as their father. So Pilate is now governor of Judea. And he has a hands-on approach to order. So there is no mistake who is in charge, nor is there a mistake as to what really matters. Wealth, prestige, and power. And Jesus threatens all three. John's gospel presents Jesus' interaction with Pontius Pilate in seven short scenes. In scene one, the Jewish authorities hand Jesus over to Pilate, but they remain outside of the governor's quarters so that they can remain ritually pure for the upcoming Passover. This tells us almost everything we need to know about the Jewish leaders and the religious ruling class. They are fine with putting an innocent man to death as long as they can remain ritually pure. The collateral damage of their quest for personal holiness is never weighed or measured or found consequential. It's important to note the setting in John's gospel. In Matthew, Mark, and Luke, Jesus is handed over after the Passover. They have a Passover meal with one another. It is the last supper, as we remember, but not so in John's gospel. In John's gospel, John is with Pilate on the day of preparation for the Passover. Because John, John the Baptist, when he sees Jesus in the wilderness, he says, behold the Lamb of God who takes away the sins of the earth, the agnus dei, And John means it. Because in the Gospel of John, when Jesus is crucified, so are the lambs slaughtered in the temple. It happens congruently. It happens at the same time. John goes to great lengths to really dive into this image of the Passover. Because in John's Gospel, Caesar is Pharaoh. Rome is is Egypt, and the religious leaders are a failed attempt at being Moses. In scene two, Pilate asks Jesus if he is a king. Jesus replies saying, my kingdom is not of this world. Understand that this is, this is not Jesus being relegated to some kind of spiritual realm that has nothing to do with our bodies, that has nothing to do with God's creation. Jesus' kingdom is not rooted in a peace that's rooted in fear or violence. Christ's kingdom is not uh, not rooted in ruining others to get ahead. My kingdom is not here, Jesus says. It is not rooted in this world. It doesn't play by these rules, is what Jesus means. Pilate misunderstands and he says, so, oh, so, so you are a king. Jesus says, you say that I'm a king because you have no word in your depraved imagination for someone who speaks the truth. So Pilate responds, okay, well, what is truth? 
Understand that Pilate is not interested in a, a philosophical debate as if they are at a university symposium uh, or, or at debate class. Pilate is asking what is truth because as a politician, he is completely unfamiliar with it. There are three categories of speech. There's telling the truth. There's telling lies. And there's only offering BS. That's right, bologna sandwiches. A bunch of people offering bologna sandwiches because they don't care whether their words are true or false as long as it keeps them in power. In scene three, the crowd is given a choice between Jesus and Barabbas. And we'll talk more about Barabbas next week, but the crowd chose Barabbas. This choice reveals that sometimes the majority chooses very poorly. And in this case, the majority has chosen a bandit and an insurrectionist. They have chosen someone who picks up the sword. And Rome is all too happy to give Barabbas to them because Barabbas picks up the sword. And that is a fight that Rome will always win. One who puts down the sword... One who leads a revolution through giving the poor a voice, restoring sight to the blind. One who can heal without asking for a commodity in return. One who can feed the masses without going to the Roman marketplace. One who can lead a revolution of people who have no fear must be stopped at all costs. In scene four, Pilate is done with polite conversation. Only brutality and shame remain. They fashion a crown of thorns and they place it upon his head and offer Jesus a purple robe and present him to the crowd. There's no turning back now. Jesus has become a joke. He is shamed. Shaming someone doesn't really matter if that someone being shamed is seen as less than or other. And this is how oppressors work. If they present someone as less than or other, then violence against them feels appropriate, acceptable, or even ordained. In scene five, Pilate begins to use Jesus as a puppet, the puppet he has now created him to be, dangling him in front of the crowd. You take him to be crucified. I find nothing wrong with him. This is not a pronouncement of, <laughs> of his innocence. This is, not a, this is not Pilate trying to get out of, of what he has created. Seeing Jesus as a bloodied, pathetic, voiceless person is exactly how Pilate views the Jewish people. The crowd responds saying that Rome needs to do this because they do not have the authority to put someone to death. But of course, that's not true. They're very quick to pick up stones for the woman caught in adultery. Again, when you treat someone as other or less than, violence against them seems appropriate, acceptable, and even ordained. But the crowd does say something that leaves Pilate uneasy. In scene six, they say he ought to die because he says he's the son of God. 
Pilate, being familiar with the, the Roman pantheon of gods, this sounds plausible. Now, if Jesus is a king, that's not a problem because Caesar has the authority and Caesar will squash that. But wait a minute. You, you didn't tell me he's saying that he's the son of a god. Is Jesus a god? Is Jesus a demigod like, like Hercules or Odysseus? That's why Pilate brings Jesus back in and asks him, where are you from? This is the first answer John's gospel gives us. In the beginning was the word, and the word was with God, and the word was God. Though Jesus is silent, and that makes Pilate very angry. Pilate is worried about his salvation at this point. I cannot put to death a God. I will be sent to Hades. I've just asked you, where are you from? Who are you? I cannot put you to death if you're a God. And Jesus is silent, and that makes Pilate mad. Pilate says, don't you know I have the authority? Don't you know that I can let you go, or I can crucify you? Because that's the thing. People with power can speak whenever they want. People without it. Their silence is suspicious, or rude. Or disrespectful. How dare you be silent in front of me? Pilate says, I have needs. Pilate is now very afraid. In this scene, uh, this last scene, scene seven, the power has completely reversed. Pilate wants to release Jesus, but in so doing, the crowd would now revolt. And Pilate would be out of a job, not controlling the people. In this last scene, Pilate has been revealed to be a complete sham. Pilate is now powerless. Well, there's one thing he can do. He dangles Jesus as political bait. Shall I crucify your king? Understand, he did not say, shall I crucify the son of God? He changes the narrative very quickly. Shall I crucify your king? Understand, this is no longer an honest question, if there has been any honesty to, going, to go around. Pilate is baiting the crowd. He's playing with the rules that Rome has developed. He places himself squarely in the world of which Christ's kingdom is not. Shall I crucify your king? And the crowd says, We have no king but Caesar. (laughs) Imagine a governor who thought that his job was at stake, that his salvation was in jeopardy. He just got the Jewish people on one of their highest, holiest days to admit that they have no king but the emperor in Rome. Pilate's job is now secure. Pilate just might get a raise out of this whole thing. The people's sin has been revealed. And only after they claim that God is not their king, only after they have claimed that Caesar is in fact the one who calls the shots, that's when Pilate says, okay, I'll have him crucified. Thank you. That's what I needed to hear. The seven-scene drama 
reveals one of the great lies that we like to hear and a lie that we like to tell. And the lie is, <laughs> there's just nothing I can do. My hands are tied. There's, 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 there's nothing I can do. We hear it often. We tell it often. There's a story that Sam Wells tells in his book uh, on which our sermon series is based of, of a community. And there was a, a neighborhood, there was a, a, a grass field in the middle of their neighborhood that the city council had fenced off. And the city council told them that this was off limits because we want to save this for some retail development. But the community, the neighborhood, wanted a place for their children to play. They wanted a playground, but they kept hearing from the city council, there's, there's just nothing we can do, you know, there's, there's lots of debris in the field and it's just not safe. There's nothing we can do. So the parents and the children organized a cleanup where they cleaned up all of the debris. They filled in all of the holes that were dangerous for people to play on. And they invited the newspaper to be there when they did it. They didn't tear down any fences. They didn't protest in the streets. They simply allowed good to overcome the evil that they were hearing. Interestingly, after they cleaned up, the city council found money for playground equipment. Once the papers had run a story. Isn't that interesting? (laughs) They simply dismantled the council's authority through good works. Part of the season of Lent is to make sure that we are ready for the cross. If we immediately go to the cross, it it sometimes falls on deaf ears. Or like I say, we would much rather go from Palm Sunday to Easter, from glory to glory, and not deal with the embarrassment of Jesus being arrested and beaten and killed. And claiming that that is where our power lies. Lent is about getting ready for the cross, which means investigating the good that I'm called to do. Not the protest, not the tearing down of fences, but the good. If we really believe that good is more powerful than evil, it will consume our thoughts. We will wake up every day asking, what good am I called to do this day? What good am I called that points me to an empty tomb? A kind of good that death cannot swallow? A kind of good that evil cannot touch? What is the good that I can offer that dismantles the power of this world? What is the good that I can do that can reveal this kingdom that Jesus talks about? This kingdom that is not built by swords or powers or principalities. A kingdom built on the blind receiving sight. A kingdom built on hungry people being fed. A kingdom built on glory. And peace and grace and love. What wondrous love is this, O oh, my soul? In the name of the Father, and of the Son, and of the Holy Spirit. Amen. Let us pray. Gracious and most loving God, you who 
offers us the King of kings, the Lord of lords, the one who is above all, yet the one who emptied himself. Help us to empty ourselves, to search for good, to proclaim truth, to lift up the crucified one, recognizing that that is where our power lies, in selflessness, in compassion, in great love. We pray this in the name of Jesus Christ, who lives and reigns with you and the Holy Spirit, one God, now and forever. Amen.